coming to you from the Dietitians and Nutrition Support Dietetic Practice Group. This is the DNS Member Podcast, where we explore topics relevant to our field. From support line content to nutrition celebrity interviews and everything in between, this podcast is where DNS members can go behind the scenes and explore the driving forces behind cutting-edge nutrition support. I'm your host, Christina Rollins. Let's get started. Hello, everyone, and thanks for listening to the DNS podcast. Today, we will be discussing parental nutrition-related shortages with physician and current Aspen president, Dr. Ryan Hurt. Dr. Hurt is a faculty member in the Division of General Internal Medicine, Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota, where he has a joint appointment in the divisions of gastroenterology and endocrinology. He received his MD and PhD in physiology from the University of Louisville School of Medicine, as well as an MBA and an MA in leadership from Osborne University. Dr. Hurt completed his residency and chief residency in internal medicine in the University of Louisville Affiliated Hospitals and is board certified by the American Board of Internal Medicine. He is the program director for the Home Parenteral and Enteral Nutrition Program at Mayo Clinic Rochester, serves as the director of the post-COVID care clinical and research programs, is vice chair and research chair in general internal medicine, and holds the rank of Professor of Medicine in the Mayo Clinic College of Medicine and Science. Dr. Hurt has developed an interest in nutrition, obesity, and addiction, and most recently long COVID, and has published over 150 peer-reviewed manuscripts and 14 book chapters in this area. Dr. Hurt, thank you so much for joining us today on the DNS podcast. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. So tell us about yourself and what led you to focus so much of your time and professional energy on nutrition support. Yeah, thanks. That's an important question because, you know, as many of your audience knows, right now we have really a problem in nutrition education and in the, especially in the physician area, but it's also, it's, it's all across all of our disciplines. Uh, But I, I know most about physician shortages in nutrition, so I can speak to that. And one of the challenges we have is in medical school and residency curriculums, nutrition is, is being cut out of curriculums, which is, is, which is really problematic for us. So I became interested in nutrition as a researcher. I was working in a surgical research lab, uh, Dr. Neil Garrison in Louisville, Kentucky, and he had a lab where he really wanted to look at some of the physiology of specific nutrients on the uh, intestinal blood flow. And so I became very interested in, in nutrition at that point, got connected with Dr. Stephen McClave and eventually Dr. Robert Martindale from OHSU and, and started hanging around really positive influences on nutrition. When I got here at Mayo Clinic, uh, Dr. Darlene Kelly and Dr. Molly McMahon uh, all influenced me uh, to really think about pursuing a career in nutrition. And so that's, that's where I got interested. And then, you know, when, I, when Dr. Kelly here at Mayo Clinic um, decided to retire, they were looking for somebody to take over the home parental nutrition program. And I, I did that in 2012 and, and have partnered with a number of just great colleagues. Our dietitians here are academic and uh, leaders in their areas. And that's been just unbelievable. I got really tuned into blenderized tube feeding uh, by Lisa Epp and our dietitian team here. And and we've really grown and, and developed a great program for both clinical practice as well as research. 
And with this respect to the parental nutrition related shortages, um, can you give us sort of a state of the state as to what's currently in short supply and how you've been coping with it in your practice? Yeah, so it's interesting, and in, in, in I know this is the main focus of this, is the shortages, and it's interesting. We've had shortages ever since uh, I took over Home Parental and Nutrition in 2012 here at Mayo Clinic. It seems like we've been dealing with, you know, a, a shortage, and, and typically these shortages were usually in short uh, duration as far as how long they were, uh, the, the components were short, and then uh, things usually got resolved. Um, I think current state of shortages we have, I think some of the things that really impact our patients, you know, we have lipid shortages, uh, some of the specialized lipids that we've been researching and utilizing and, and really think they add value to patients uh, in, our, in our home TPN patients and as well as our hospitalized patients um, are in short supply. And, you know, the other two probably big areas uh, are um, the the multivitamins uh, uh, in the, the multivitamin uh, infusion products um, are in short supply. Um, and, and so those are probably the two big areas where we've been dealing with, uh, you know, currently, but we have, you know, I, you can just go down pretty much every, you know, probably out of the 20 major components, 20 or so major components of parental nutrition. I think I've seen a shortage of pretty much every one of those in my 10 year career here at Mayo Clinic. And when we see these specific nutrient shortages, you know, you mentioned the multi, the multivitamins. So I recall, you know, years ago in the hospital setting, we would have a contingency plan to sort of ration the MBI, um, but that was only short term. And then we would go back to normal state. So are you seeing the back and forth between normal and crisis, or are we just in crisis all the time? Well, I think most recently, obviously with uh, the pandemic, uh, this has kind of been the perfect storm for this on and again, off again, usually short-term shortage problem that we've been having over the last, you know, at least in my career, last 10 uh, to 12 years. And it's really been amplified with COVID because of the supply chain problems that we've had, right? And so uh, a shortage, uh, let's say in, you know, lipids uh, or, uh, you know, IV saline bags like we had after Hurricane Maria in 2017, you know, because a lot of the plants were on the island there and, and were uh, unfortunately due to that devastating hurricane wiped out, you know, it did take a little bit of time to, to get some of that back. But you now compound in the, the supply chain and logistical problems we're having with COVID on top of something like that, and it makes it really even more problematic. And I think it's been very frustrating for our uh, our multidisciplinary team. Uh, it's been frustrating for patients and, and everybody alike. So I think uh, that's been the, the, the big problem in the last two years is the, the pandemic has really put a, a new layer of complexity into the shortage problem. Back to your vitamin question. So, so yeah, so when we had vitamin shortages years ago, or even most recently, I think one of the companies discontinued one of the products, right, because of the fact that a third party component of the of the multivitamin, um, I think either went out of business or shifted elsewhere. And so they, the, the bigger company decided to discontinue the product. And so that's what we're experiencing now. But then you 
kind of tack on the pandemic to everything and it just has made everything worse. And then obviously, we, you know, how do you deal with these? And I know we'll talk about these, but just briefly the multivitamin example, you know, we, we have to really triage and figure out which patients are, which patients do we need to prioritize? And it's unfortunate. You said, you know, you, you mentioned that, you know, the shortage would come and then go, then you'd be back to kind of uh, things as, as usual. And with the current situation, that's, it seems like these uh, shortages are more extended. And are other countries facing the same shortages that we are here in the United States? Yeah, so the, the obviously what I've just mentioned, the, the pandemic certainly has impacted, um, you know, countries ac across the globe. And so shortages haven't necessarily been um, just a United States phenomenon. They've been a phenomenon that does span the globe. Um, and and clearly other nutritional societies, uh, you know, ESPN and others have uh, done similar things that we've been doing to try to to help um, advocate in their in their in their countries uh, for you know improvement of the the problems. Um, sometimes in the United States, when you have kind of a, a free capitalistic society like we do, you know, companies often here will pivot. You know, uh, when you know there's probably twenty thousand or so uh, home parental nutrition patients in the country. Um, you know, that's an estimate. Uh, but when there's a, when it's a really kind of a smaller group of patients, uh, companies often will pivot to manufacturing things that are more profitable uh, here in the United States. Some of the other countries are probably more insulated from that than we are, but uh, there's still big companies that produce the vast majority of the products in parental nutrition. And so they're not immune from it, uh, immune from the shortages. What types of patients would you consider to be more at risk of developing negative consequences related to these shortages? Yeah, that's a great question. I really think this is an important question. And this is the, this just highlights the role of our nutrition support teams, right? And, and I really feel the dietitians are the frontline individuals, right? I just, I highlighted earlier the, the problem we have with physicians and nutrition but our pharmacy colleagues, our dietitians, our nurses, and our physicians all working together really need to identify the patients that we need to prioritize. And again, it's, it's just sad that we have to you know, deal with a multivitamin shortage or a lipid shortage, but that's the reality. And until, the, until we can legislate at the high levels to change some of that, it's a reality. And I think, think identifying patients who need the, need the TPN the most is an important question. So some thoughts on that. So clearly, for instance, the multivitamin question that we posed earlier, there are many of our home TPN patients and our hospitalized uh, TPN patients that can still, you know, swallow, can still chew, can still eat a little bit. And so I always think about the multivitamin uh, problem in that regards, in that patients that can eat, you know, I often will do a chewable multivitamin um, when, when we're in short supply and perhaps give them the, the MVI three times a week, right? So you can, you can supplement the oral when possible, but there are situations where we have patients that have 
you know, short bowel. I have patients that have literally no bowel. They have a stomach, uh, a remnant of a stomach leading from a G tube outward and nothing uh, below. So those are individuals that cannot absorb any uh, nutrients. And so they are the, they're at the top of the list when we triage who needs um, something such as a multivitamin. It's the same discussion for lipids too. Uh, when we have uh, lipid shortages as we do now, um, often I think about the patient's uh, needs and requirements and how much they're able to get in orally um, versus how, much, how dependent they are on the parental nutrition. The degree of dependency, I think, is an important uh, aspect of nutrition assessment, which uh, my dietitian colleagues do a wonderful job of. And so assessing those individuals and then deciding as a team, you know, how many calories can they get from uh, oral lipids? You know, how much lipid are they getting? Are they at risk for essential fatty acid deficiency if they're getting no lipid? And so these are some of the thought processes that we have uh, with our patients. Look at who's at most risk, who is most dependent on parental nutrition, both in the hospital as well as in the home setting, and make decisions based on those factors. What is Aspen doing to support clinicians who are dealing with these shortages? So Aspen is always, ever since I've been involved with Aspen and I joined Aspen, you know, as a, as a resident and I, Aspen is a wonderful society, multidisciplinary, um, really has the lens of all of our specialties within nutrition support. And ever since I can remember, uh, you know, people mentioning shortages. I remember Aspen being at the forefront of this. Uh, we're continually addressing the ongoing shortages in, in parental nutrition. Um, we work directly, we have uh, advocacy with both the FDA as well as pharmaceutical manufacturers, as well as we, we stay up to date and we stay connected with other um, organizations one group in particular for the home patients is OLE. The OLE Foundation is a wonderful advocacy group for our home parental nutrition patients. Uh, they clearly have a role here as well. And so we're, we're working together. Uh, and then we, again, we then the last thing I'll say is we, we, do, we do work with um, the United States government, Congress. Um, we have times where we do go and advocate for um, our patients and our membership to resolve these shortages. We um, do that on a regular basis. I think one of the, one of the best things uh, that we do though is we, Aspen does an awesome job of keeping people updated. And so on our webpage, we do have a, a PN uh, shortage uh, link and that's constantly updated. You know, a lot of web pages, uh, even here at Mayo Clinic, they go unupdated right? They, uh, they sit there idle for six months. This one is constantly updated. And so um, there's updates from June on lipids that are currently on our webpage, as well as uh, the vitamin shortages we we're talking about. Um, and, and so another one that's obviously recently, but it's kind of outside parental nutrition discussion here is infant formula, uh, formula shortage, right? So that's outside PN, but we're we're advocating uh, for, for these issues for intro uh, nutrition as well. In your expert opinion, do you think there's an end in sight regarding all of these, you know, PN and enteral shortages, as you mentioned? 
you know, I think again that the the formula shortage highlighted the fact that you know uh, uh, only a few companies control a lot of the the products, right? And so I think everybody is becoming more aware, and it, sometimes it takes, unfortunately, a shortage in something like infant formula to really get people to understand that you know to to limit or deny you know an infant life-saving formula is it's just it doesn't seem like it's 2022 and so your question about do i see an end in sight well i unfortunately i don't know if i do um we've i've seen shortages again every every year since i've been the director of the home parental and nutrition program we've had some shortage and it just seems like in the last few years due to do the COVID pandemic, but also due to natural disasters and in the, you know, the buying up of smaller companies and consolidation in big nutrition um, organizations has made this problem even worse. So I do think again, Aspen, others, and I think everybody, not just members of Aspen, but I think all of us need to value nutrition and understand the importance of it and then advocate our members of Congress to, to do something about it. We can all do things about it. We can all ration the nutrition. We can all prioritize patients uh, that are in the field. We can get people off of parental nutrition as quickly as possible. We can only put, we can put people on parental nutrition in the hospital or at home that truly need it. Um, so we can do our job to conserve the valuable resources, but also I would really hope that most of us could also advocate at a higher level, whether it be our state senators or state representatives, all the way up to our Congress people. Any other words of advice you would give dietitians in particular who are working with their physician and other partners to manage these patients in spite of all of the shortages? Yeah, and again, I think the dietitians to me are the true frontline, our prior dietitians and pharmacists and, and physicians and nurses are certainly involved in these care of these patients, but I, I believe the dietitians are the ones that are going to probably see these, the impact of shortages on patients earlier than most. And so, you know, dietitians can implement strategies with their, their other partners. I mean, you know, physicians certainly are writing orders, but the dietitians can be the ones to come up with plans. I already started this whole thing off, this whole podcast off by telling you that physician education is, is lacking. And so the, the dietitians need to be the ones to let the physicians know, you know, why MTE4 isn't as optimal as MTE5, right? Uh, I've seen plenty of selenium deficiency issues in patients when we've had shortages, you know, eight years ago. I saw cardiomyopathy uh, because of selenium deficiency. And the first person to recognize that, the first healthcare provider was a dietitian. And so I think you can advocate uh, on your, your patient's behalf both to the physician uh, by developing strategies um, to help with the shortage and also being a clinician to identify those patients that have consequences of the deficiency, like I mentioned with the selenium deficiency. It's paramount that dietitians really do this. Um, as far as specific, you know, specific recommendations, you know, to me, I, I always think about these shortages will, will really, you know, potentially put patients at risk. 
I recall a phosphorus shortage once from one of our infusion companies uh, a number of years ago. And, and I did, I had a meeting with my dietitian and pharmacist with this infusion company and said, look, phosphorus is like one of the essential elements when we restart patients on nutrition that are malnourished for refeeding. It's critical, right? And so um, again, the dietitian can you know, help develop strategies uh, in light of these shortages. The micronutrients, uh, certainly we talked about macronutrients. Again, where can we get calories from other sources? Can we get any from, from oral sources? Is there opportunity? Even in short bowel patients, you can still you know, feed them and, and our dietitians in the long uh, or in the short bowel clinic you know, have great strategies for how do we optimize the oral nutrition that's being obviously uh, supplemented by the PN. Um, and I think that's important. Amino acids is another one I think about. So amino acids, you know, um, can we, you know, we'll have to conserve some of the, the more concentrated products for those that are volume, you know, sensitive, right? People that have volume issues, volume overload issues, you know, conserving potentially some of the, the, the concentrated uh, amino acids for those that can't tolerate large volumes of fluid. Those are important aspects that we've seen here clinically. Um, the multivitamins I talked about already, you know, developing strategies for chewables, right? Um, sometimes we get so fixated on giving the IV multivitamin, we don't stop and look and compare what is in the IV multivitamin versus the, the oral. Uh, and if they can chew a multivitamin, we have them chew it up and, and as best they can, and, and they likely can absorb some of that. Injectables, there's injectable subcutaneous options as well, which aren't as optimal. So that's what I would say. I think, and again, the dietitians are both at the front line for seeing the patients, recognizing the importance of shortages. They're also on the front line for identifying uh, the consequences of shortages. And I think developing strategies to try to work around the shortage are all, all things the dietitians I think, can do. With that, we will conclude today's podcast. Thank you, Dr. Hurt, so much for taking time out of your schedule to chat with us today. It's, my, it's been my pleasure, and thank you for having me. And listeners, to post your PN shortage-related questions and access a ton of other great nutrition support content, please visit our website at dnsdpg.org. Until next time, I'm Christina Rollins. Thanks for listening.